It's time for the Rose Chat Podcast, a podcast dedicated to celebrating the world's most beloved flower, the rose. Join award-winning gardeners Chris Van Cleef and Teresa Byington as they chat with rose lovers and experts from around the globe. With each episode, you'll gain valuable knowledge and insights to achieve the rose garden you've always dreamed of. Listen now as we explore the world of roses. Hey friends, on this episode, my good friend Connie Hilker joins us to chat about her favorite rose class, the Noisettes, the Southern Belle of Roses. So let's get started in this series where we're taking a look at classes of roses we don't hear about very often. Hey Connie, welcome back. Hey Teresa, it's great to be here with you again. Thank you for inviting me. Now Connie, as a lover and an educator of old garden roses, what do you think about the Southern Belle of Roses? Oh, well, you already said it. Moisettes are without a doubt my favorite class of rose. And I think it's a combination of things. They're not fussy, easy to grow. They love my climate here in Virginia. And there's such a rich history behind them. And I'm a history geek at heart. <laughs> now, that's true. That's very, very true. Now, when you can say the words old garden roses and season long bloom in the same sentence, you get my attention and you get a lot of people's attention. So let's start as we love to start at the beginning of these beauties. Okay, well, let's let's start at the exact beginning where they were invented. So in the late 18th and early 19th century, hybridizers were excited to have received the ever-blooming China roses from China when the China trade was opened. They didn't really care for, they loved the fact that it, they bloomed all summer long, but they didn't like the flower form and they really wanted them to be fragrant. So they began to make crosses with these China roses to the spring-blooming old garden roses that they were familiar with. And they were trying to capture the reblooming habit of the chinas and create roses that had brighter colors, higher petal counts, and more fragrance. Now, John Champneys in Charleston, South Carolina, took a little bit of a different approach. Instead of crossing the ever-blooming china roses with the once-blooming old garden roses, hoping in successive crosses to get reblooming roses, he crossed two reblooming roses. He grew a seed from a cross of Old Blush, one of those new chinas, and Rosa Moscata, the musk rose, which is another old reblooming rose that had been known in Europe for at least 200 years and was familiar in early America. One of those seedlings from this cross became Champney's Pink Cluster that many of us are familiar with. Champney shared his new rose with fellow nurseryman Philippe Noisette, who was also in South Carolina, who sent plants to his brother, Louis, in France. And it was Louis who built upon what Champney started, introducing Blush Noisette and others, which soon became hugely popular. Trade in seeds, seedlings, and cuttings of these new roses was brisk between France and England and America. By 1846, Prince's Manual of Roses by nurseryman William Robert Prince of New York listed 70, mm. that's seven zero, <laughs> named varieties of noisettes. So these really, really took off. 
Well, she's not only a Southern belle, but she has a European flair, making it even more enticing. Absolutely. And kind of like now, when anything that's that's foreign, and French in particular, was trendy. So these, um, these truly American roses came from France, and all of a sudden, they were popular. <laughs> the, the, the experts, the European rose breeders, went even farther. And they crossed these early noisettes with tea roses, which resulted in plants with a climbing habit, wider range of colors, and larger flowers in smaller clusters, much more like what we are familiar with here in modern roses. So we begin to see the beginning of modern mm -hmm. roses with yeah. these. But the popularity of these group of noisettes quickly overshadowed the older types, many of which have disappeared from commerce. They may not be totally gone, however, because many of these old-style noisettes have been found in gardens and cemeteries by rose hunters, who preserve and share them under steady names like Cato's Cluster and Tuttis Pink Noisette and Secret Garden Noisette, Natchitoches Noisette, and others. Now, <clears throat> you just pronounce Naka. Say that again. Natchitoches. That's one of those words that just doesn't roll off my tongue. So thank you no. for getting that one right. <laughs> and it doesn't look anything like it's spelled either. I usually have to look it up. I was I was tutored on how to pronounce that by Southern people, by Louisiana people. So I'm hoping <laughs> I'm not butchering it. I think we're good. Yes, I think you are. I think you are. Well, with all with these found noisettes and the study names that. We really hesitate to try to assign identities to these roses because there were so many old style noisettes and they're very similar to each other often. Even in the 19th century, these things were being sold as new roses, even though there's subtle differences between the plants in the same cultivar because cutting grown roses and seedling roses were often sold as the same variety. And mm. Yeah, catalog descriptions and nursery notes at the time were very similar to what we deal with right now. And they were often really vague and they overstated a variety's characteristics and were kind of kind of sketchy on some of it. So we really can't use that as definitive um, ways to identify these things. So we just keep it with a study name, which it saves the, the provenance to the particular plant, and we do our best to try to keep that all together. What a fun thing, though, if you have the time or, you know, it's just so fun to do that research and, and find the, and bring out the old back again. I just love it. Oh, research is what I do for fun. Mm -hmm. and another thing about these is, if, you know, the rose hunters find a rose out in the wild it may not have ever been a named cultivar at all because these things seed pretty easily. I have found at least two volunteer noisette seedlings in my own garden, and there may have been more that I just didn't find. You know, I don't think a lot about the noisettes as far as my garden. I'm just skittish because I've tried a couple through the years and they just didn't work because um, – you know, really harsh winters, but we don't really have those anymore. I mean, we have crazy winters, but we don't really have the harsh winters that we had. And a few weeks ago, I had the pleasure of hearing Art talk uh, from um, Rose Petal Nursery. He was doing a webinar 
um, for the American Rose Society. And all I could think about was the nausets after that. So I had to go to the website, start dreaming again. And I did take the plunge. I found that they did have in stock. I was getting to the party pretty late for ordering. But I did find a Champneys pink. And I'm going to give her a try. Even though she's zone 6B. I'm not 6B, but we'll see. I'm going to put her where she's protected. But I had talked about this. I thought, oh, I wish I could grow those to a friend of mine who's a little bit more Southern in Indiana. And she goes, oh, I grow Chantney's Pink, and it does beautifully for me. So I'm thinking she's real successful, so I'm going to give it a try. That will be perfect. Perfect with your style of garden because noisettes are so good in a cottagey style garden because I tend to think of them as having more of an informal form. Mm -hmm. So rather than stiff, upright, long stems, big flowers on the end of them, it's more large clusters of smaller flowers, very, very fragrant. Often the clusters will nod over very gracefully, which fits perfectly into a cottage style garden. And an arrangement. I just, you know, you have to have some different shapes and you don't want everything stiff and formal. So um, the ones, the, the flouncy sort of roses that I already have, I just love them in arranging, don't you? Oh, I don't arrange. I grab a handful and plump them into a vase. And then generally <laughs> I have a cat that thinks that, that um, flowers in a vase are snacks. So it's one of my great disappointments that whenever I bring something in or whenever I open up a box for a rose order, Alice will come straight over and start munching on whatever she can reach. <laughs> Oh, my. Well, you've talked a little bit about their habit. So could you give us a few care tips? I'm thinking, you know, how much pruning? Do they get fungal diseases? You know, and we do have to deal with the growing zones a little bit. So bring us up to speed on that. Okay. Well, let's see. Um, There's really a noisette that will fit most any garden situations because you've got dwarf ones. I have... Um, Roseville Noisette, which is a found rose that was found in Roseville, California, that has never even reached three feet high for me now. That could have been aided by the deer in early spring, but it still has a very, very dwarf habit. And then you go all the way up to Champney's Pink Cluster and Fuel's Noisette, which is another um, found rose that will do six feet easily straight upright with absolutely no support that's needed. Now, blush noisette can get, can be grown as an arching shrub because its its canes tend to be a little more flexible. So it will grow upwards and then arch over. Or with some encouragement, it will climb and drape. And it is spectacular that way. Now, the tea noisettes that we talked about, um, Lamarck, Revdor, Alistair Stella Gray, those are definitely climbers and need some support and they're very easy to train to a structure and they're absolutely gorgeous that way. Now, talked about the zones. I'm in zone 7A and I am warmer than I am than we were when we moved here 20 years ago. There was a, a little bit of a spell right at Christmas time this past year where we went down into single digits. But other than that, winter has been incredibly mild here. So mm-hmm. climate change is a thing. We are getting warmer. Um, mm-hmm. Which your zone five, what? B, 5B. 5B. 
I, I'm really thinking that, that you and Champneys are probably going to get along just fine. You'll, pro- you'll have some winter dieback. I have some winter dieback on my ones that are very exposed. But I have a friend in Cleveland who put noisettes into his garden. And he does beautifully with those. I think he's 6A. Mm-hmm. So that's close. That's really close. That's really close. Really close. And he's a, he's a bit away from the lake, so it's not like he's getting that the the effect of the the, the warming effect of the lake on his in his yard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect. We're going to give it okay. a try. <laughs> what about pruning? Do we just leave them alone? Just cut out the dead? What do you suggest? The beauty of this is that they don't need a lot of pruning. The first thing I do with any pruning job is take out anything that's dead. And then I just evaluate, all right, who's not blooming well anymore? And I just cut those straight out. And then the whole idea is just to maintain the shape that they have or that the, what, the way they tend to grow. So Champneys tends to go straight upright, tall and thin. And I like to accentuate that because it gives us an opportunity to plant more things around her. Mm-hmm. Keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Blush noisette since tends to arch. I try to accentuate that as well by not shortening it and letting it get arching and graceful. Mm-hmm. And then the tea noisettes, you just treat them like any other climber. Take out the parts that don't fit the structure and put it back on. What time of year do you recommend pruning? I'm doing it right now um, with any, it's these, you prune these at the exact same time that I would nor I would prune my modern roses. Mm-hmm. So the old adage, when the forsythia is blooming, I guess that works. <laughs> it works here. It just, it really does. 99.9% of the time. So it's a little bit different this spring. We've had a little cooler, warmer, cooler, warmer. So I'm not sure what that means, but we've been luckier than some of our friends down in Nashville. I was just talking to a friend in Nashville yesterday and, and beautiful garden, beautiful climbers. And he's having to cut his climbers back to about a foot. Oh, some of my. them because That's of a freeze. One just a couple of days makes a big difference when it's a freeze, and it was in December. Yeah, so we had, yes, we've been lucky here for that. No, we had we had twenties a couple of weeks ago, and I was concerned about the freeze. But I realized with a garden as large as mine, there's nothing I can do about it. And to be honest, Mother Nature is in control, no matter what we think about it. And all of my roses with the warm weather that we had had previously, all of the repeat blooming roses had um, had broken bud. And there was some there was some freeze damage on that new growth. So it's a good thing that I delayed my pruning a little bit so that I can go back and I can take off (laughs) those buds that are damaged and go back down to healthy growth. So I'm taking a little more off than I normally would. And this is pretty this is pretty timely because I was out this morning weeding and pruning because it's a gorgeous day. And I was in the, uh, in the bed of noisettes back in my rose field, taking out canes that were all bloomed out and cutting off dead things and complimenting them on how well they made it through the winter. And I'm looking forward to seeing what they do for me in a few weeks. Now you're a bit humid where you are. So, 
um, how do you deal with fungal diseases? Or are they pretty resistant to that? For the most part, they're very resistant to fungal diseases. Now, I will say that some of them do get black spot. And that's really the only fungal disease that I have experience with. Um, we, in the, the warm days and cool nights in early spring mm-hmm. and then late in the fall, that'll promote powdery mildew. But that's a temporary situation that I just ignore and it will, it'll go away. Black spot is, comes and it is here to stay in the summertime. But a majority of the noisettes that I grow don't pay one bit of attention to black spot. It's amazing. What good news that is. It really, really is. Um, Faded Pink Monthly is absolutely bulletproof as far as black spot goes. And there's another one that's little known that I got back in the day from Ashdown Roses. It's called Haywood Hall. And it was collected at Haywood Hall in Raleigh, North Carolina. And it's I grow it. I train it to a fence. It's not really a uh, a climber, but it it leans against the fence, and I I spread its branches out slightly to make it an exaggerated V shape. And I've never seen black spot on that plant at all ever. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's a really really good one. Wow. Well, you're saying really really good. So now for the hardest question: What okay. are your favorites? We get asked favorites a lot and I yes, don't, do. and my favorites are the ones that have my attention at the moment. And since I was out pruning and I could see which ones were the absolute best, I've said, a, I've mentioned a lot about found roses and back to being the history geek, the found roses mm-hmm. with their stories, whether it's the story of how they were discovered or stories from the family whose home they were found in or which cemetery they were discovered in. Those are the ones that get my attention. So we talked about Haywood Hall. Um, Faded Pink Monthly is a, is a very dwarf little noisette. It actually, the habit can tend a little bit toward the Marie Pavier style polyanthus. And but it's not quite as large as Marie Pavier. Powder pink flowers, semi-double, very graceful form. Little two-inch flowers all season long. That one is that one is one that I will always, always have. In fact, I accidentally bought it twice because <laughs> there was enough faded pink monthly <clears throat> is the accepted study name for that. Because that's the name that Mrs. Keys in Calvert <laughs> County, Maryland, who discovered it, gave it. I bought another one called Mrs. Keys Pink Noisette. Come to find out they're the exact same plant being sold under two names. Now, I was not at all sorry about that because it's good enough for me to have a duplicate. So I'm okay with it. Now, I saw that one. <clears throat> Excuse me. I saw that one on Rose Petal's website. It is a beauty. And it, it's great that it can fit in any size garden because some of these guys get really, really big. And this one does not. It does not. Um, it'll, at the most, this thing has made a three-foot ball. It's a great landscape shrub because mm-hmm. its leaves are so pretty. And there's flowers to go along with it. Yeah, very pretty. There's another one, um, Nasterana, which is another old style noisette with these 
with single to semi-double white flowers, large clusters, very, very, very fragrant. And without exception, single roses really do have my heart. I show me my show me your stamens and I will love you forever. I swear. <laughs> And this one, it's rare for me to go out and see this one when it's in bloom, that it's not covered in pollinators. And we're all doing whatever we can to encourage all types of pollinators, not just the honeybees, but all of those little bugs and bees that do their job. And the single, the single roses that show their stamens are great for that. And Nasturonis, it almost always has a bug in it somewhere. <laughs> just perfect. A perfect neighbor. Oh, Yes. Now let's get into the the uh, the teen noisettes because I do have some that are particular favorites. Alistair Stella Gray is top on that list. It's a teen noisette from 1894, which is kind of late to the party for this. And I grew it on the south side of my house, and my house is bricks, so I wasn't certain if it would need a protected spot when I planted it there many years ago. Turns out it probably didn't. But I love having it there because I love it so much that whenever I leave the house, I see it and I can talk to it. But this particular one, um, when I had my nursery, people would, would come in and from time to time would say, I have this rose and then begin to tell me a story. And inevitably, oh. they would offer cuttings. So in this particular one, this woman was in Washington, D.C., and she saw this rose growing up the side of a row house all the way to the second story windows. And she said, would you like a cutting? Would you like cuttings of it? Absolutely. Thank you very much. And my Alistair, it was fairly easy to identify as Alistair Stella Gray because it's very it's very distinctive with its pale yellow flowers. The flowers actually look a lot like Pearl Door, but in yellow. But the foliage is completely different. And right now, if I were to open the window of my family room, which from that part of the house is, equates the second story, I could take cuttings of that row. So it's, it's climbed my house, too. Oh, my goodness. Now, when I saw the pictures, it reminded me a bit of Ghislaine de Felagon. Does it you or the picture just a little leans toward that, but not. It was probably just the pictures. They're very, very different in person. Now I miss Ghislaine de Felagon. I lost mine to Rose Rosette disease a few years ago. And I, I will probably replace it because I loved it that much. Well, I'm very interested in Alistair Stella Gray because if you can trust help me find and I think that you can. I think I saw 5B on that one. Ooh, that would be awesome. Please allow me to send you cuttings of this. And yes. we will pass the DC Row House oh. Alistair Stella Gray up to Indiana. I'm always happy to pa- to pass along cuttings of a plant with stories. Perfect. I would love it. Oh, excellent. And, I'll be glad uh, I'll be doing that in June then. Oh, good, good. Now, the big problem is going to be, where can I put her? You know, we've got some crowded conditions here, but I'm going to be on the lookout for the perfect spot. It'll be a while before it gets enough size to be able to do that. You have time. I do. I promise you have time. Now, talking about size, I had Revdor. Revdor 
is a beast. And I do not use that word lightly. I planted it beside my garage door and her job was to climb up the top of the garage door and as far across as she could. And she was on her way to being able to do that before the voles got her. Oh, no. I know. Those nasty little rodents dig and eat. And it just, it, it just sudden death. Oh. So, but it's, the flowers are this beautiful creamy apricot, a little darker than your Giesline de Felicon. Mm-hmm. And it blooms all season long. The foliage is kind of a pale yellow, gray, green, and extraordinarily disease resistant Mm -hmm. and if a large trellis rev door can absolutely do it Mm, spectacular very much so very much so what else do we have here oh i have a new one so i can't really say exactly what it's going to do for me yet but when i saw it in sacramento i absolutely fell in love it's called souvenir de madame leonie vieno Ooh, good job that's a, that's a tongue twister <laughs> it's in its it's in its third year right now and it had very little dieback from the from the uh the winter freezes that we had and i have it on one side of a seven foot arch and it's almost reached the top wow. this is beginning its third year so i have a lot of hope for it this year we'll see how it goes I saw a picture of this one on the Antique Rose Emporium. It sold out, but what a rose. Very beautiful. It was it was enormous in Sacramento. And I know that their their climate is a lot milder than mine. So I was hoping that winter would stunt her just a little bit. But if not, we'll just have a stern talking to every spring. And I'm sure like she's going to do whatever she wants. And most of the time, I'm okay with that. Most of the time we have to be okay with that. But, you know, they flounce and they do all these things. And I tell people, any anything that's flouncy, I just fall in love with it. I don't know what it is about that, but it just appeals to me. Uh, so. I completely agree with you. There's so many descriptions, say, weak neck, nodding flowers. And it's like, oh, no, no, you, you're growing over my head. If you did, If your flowers didn't nod... I wouldn't be able to see them. Mm-hmm. They're That's not true. nodding. They're bowing to, to, to look at us so yes. we can see them. <laughs> now, I saw a beautiful noisette when I was visiting P. Allen Smith's garden in Little Rock a few years ago. And the name was Lamarck. Do you grow Ooh. that one? It's beautiful. It was Lamarck. just breathtaking. Lamarck is incredible. I do not grow that one. I bought a plant of that. When I was in Sacramento about five years ago, to give to a friend of mine who had lost his, and I admired it so much in his garden. They only had one plant, and you know it's a good friend. When as much as I wanted to keep that, I gave Aww. it to him. Oh, I think it's large enough now. I can I can propagate from it, but it is as good as Revdoor is. Mm-hmm. Lamarck is just that good with creamy white flowers and it, it blooms all summer long very fragrant there's just there's nothing not to love about these things yeah absolutely but now we have a very important question where can we buy them 
Ooh. And you know, that's a moving target nowadays, mm-hmm. but as with anything else, if I'm looking for a specific rose, I immediately hit the internet and go to helpmefind.com and just search whatever rose name and see who has listed it in their nursery um, mm-hmm. listings under the buy from tab. That is the undisputed king of resources for mm-hmm. anything and everything rose. And all of the ones that I've mentioned today are available from somewhere. Now, whether they're in stock at the moment, I don't know. But I do know that even ones like Haywood Hall, that was listed. I think that one was at Rogue Valley, but don't quote me on that. Um, but every single one that I've mentioned is available from somewhere. And mail order is going to be your best bet unless you live near one of these nurseries. But we're fortunate here in Virginia. We don't have a nursery anymore, but there are a couple of organizations that do plant sales and with a very heavy emphasis on heritage roses. And some of them are noisettes. And if you go shopping for noisettes in a plant sale, you're, you're going to buy something else as well. It's just the way it goes. So we have, (laughs) yes, that's great. Come on. There's room in the wagon. Keep putting them in. That's true. Now, one of the features I like about the websites today, like Rose Petal Nursery, the Antique Rose Emporium, and several of the others, they give you a feature if it's sold out or out of stock that they will contact you when it is in stock. And I love that. That's worked for me on several roses. I think Heirloom Roses does that. I mean, a lot of them do. So, um, yeah. They do. My Country Roses does that. So Mm -hmm. it's really nice because, you know, they do. You know, they are working on them all the time. And I'm thinking, you know, when they see they have a bunch of orders or a bunch of people interested, maybe we get more going. I don't know. But I think that's a great feature that we all should use. Oh, when I had my nursery, I was well, I welcomed suggestions because otherwise it's me just deciding what I want to propagate one Mm -hmm. year to have available for sale the next year. Now, you mentioned propagation a couple of times and you do that a lot. Um, um, are these easy to propagate? For the most part, yes. Yes, they really, really are. Um, especially, figured the, the, the found noisettes especially probably were pass-along plants. So mm-hmm. you put it underneath the mason jar in the shade, just the way they would did it um, a long time ago, and hope for the best. Or we do it a little bit more, um, more technical with rooting hormone and, and stuff like that now. But for the most part... Even an amateur is going to get a probably 50% take for, um, for propagating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then you'll have, then you have some to share with your friends. Absolutely. And I have heard of some uh, nurseries that if you have something that you can get to them, they'll do it for you maybe for a price. So I'm not sure if that's something that people are still doing, but I have heard of that in, in the past that if you have a particular something, you can get them cuttings up. So, um, so that might be a, um, a way for someone to that get what would, they want. That would be a really good way. I had not heard of that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard of that. You know, and I think that, you know, sometimes people want things, you know, to give out at weddings and all kinds of things. So it could be that that would be a way for you to, to get some things. So anyway, oh, if you don't feel comfortable or don't have the growing conditions to do your own propagation, that maybe someone else could do that for you. Yeah. So yeah. that would be great. 
Now, let's talk a little bit about a great organization that we both belong to. You've been very active in the Heritage Rose Foundation. Oh, you went straight to what I do for fun. <laughs> yes. Well, the Heritage Rose Foundation, it's, it's an international organization that was founded, I think it was back in the mid 80s. Um, the whole, the whole idea behind it is to preserve and promote historic <clears throat> roses. That's it. Now, most of these roses are from the 19th century and earlier. So pre 1900, it's that simple. And mm -hmm. membership is open to all rose lovers around the world. Dues are $25 per year for individuals. And you can join on the website, heritagerosefoundation.org. But the, oh, go ahead. Well, this week I received my newsletter from the foundation. I can tell you it is an outstanding newsletter every time. It is full of information, history, updates on projects that they're doing, which are many. So hats off to our great friend Stephen Scaniello and his whole team that put that together and write for it. I mean, I know that you do too. It is just an outstanding um, email. It's an e-newsletter. Yeah. So it is. And perfect. It's it's such a rush when it arrives in my mailbox because I have, I don't see them ahead of time. I get them when everyone else does. Ooh. <laughs> mm -hmm. but they, so you've been reading this week too. Pardon? You've been reading this week too. I have, <laughs> I have. And this, we've been particularly active. Uh, COVID really, like with everything else that we've had to figure out a new way to do things. So there's been an awful lot of, online interaction with people with mm -hmm. um online presentations last year's annual meeting was was online via zoom and it was really really well attended and it was a great great meeting but now now we can start doing things in person and we can the public can see what we've been working on for the last mm -hmm. couple of years um heritage rose foundation was invited to curate the fourth circle of the historic roses for the great garden restoration at the American Rose Center in Shreveport. And it's the largest portion of that garden. And we had, we had a time choosing which ones were that we felt told the stories of mm -hmm. heritage roses in America. That was where we really wanted to focus that we provided the plants the structures there were provided by us, and we had said we also pledged a large donation for the creation of the Ann Belovich Rambler Garden, which is yes. under development right now. This is a great way to get heritage roses out there in front of the public in a public space that we know is endowed, mm -hmm. and that will be maybe not in perpetuity, but we can cross our fingers and really hope because. The most endangered roses out there are generally in a public space because as soon as management changes, the garden can change also. And the garden within the roses within that garden or just plants in general can be lost. So mm -hmm. Heritage Rose Foundation takes very seriously the job of collecting these roses and preserving them in places where they can be available in the future to nurseries, to individuals, to public gardens. And that's one of our biggest miss missions. 
I'm going to go to the uh, National Convention in Shreveport the 1st of May, and I cannot wait to see all that they've done. I'm seeing pictures come out of there that are just outstanding, and it's just so wonderful that America's going to have her rose garden. Oh, I completely agree, and I am so disappointed because I can't be there for this. Mm. I know. I will miss you. I will miss you. (laughs) And I will miss you, too. We could have gotten into so much trouble. Yes, I think that we might have. I'm I'm flying, which helps me because I'm not taking extra luggage. Oh, no, honey. (laughs) I'm not taking extra luggage, but I can have things shipped if I get in a pinch. The last time I went to a Rose event, I took two suitcases. I fly Southwest, so I can take two bags with me. One of them was a small one and that contained my clothes and that was packed inside of an empty larger one. And I, I packed my rose. I, I bare rooted them in the parking lot of the hotel and I packed them as carefully as I could in that suitcase. I kissed them goodbye and I put them on the, and I checked them at the gate (laughs) and they came home perfectly. And I think there was like 15 of them in there. Oh my goodness, how fun. You can do it. You can do it. Oh, you can. I have in the past for sure. Now, when I was visiting you last September, you talked about a new flower garden type project that you were going to put, I think was behind the greenhouse. So what's going on there? Oh, yes. This is, this is a new type of gardening for me. Um, a little bit of background. When I started gardening as an adult, we lived in wooded subdivisions. So I, was, I got to be a decent shade gardener. We moved here 20 years ago on this nine acres of sunshine. And immediately I wanted to grow roses. And if I had a sunny spot, I was growing roses. This is the first garden that I am planning that's not a garden of roses, but a garden with roses. It's, Mm -hmm. it's 20 feet wide and it's 36 feet long, which sounds big for my former subdivisions, but in this place, it's really a small garden and I'm having to edit things out of it. And in fact, I haven't even, I've chosen two roses to go into it. Now I'll tell you, I I haven't planted a thing yet, um, but it's prepared. I have chosen two red China roses. One is Louis Philippe and the other one is a found China rose from Hollywood Cemetery that we call the Colburn China. And after 20 years of making mistake after mistake after mistake and prepping my garden, this time I decided to do it as well as I possibly could. So I hit marketplace and got a truckload of free cardboard boxes. (laughs) I'm sure there wasn't a run on them. Well, maybe there are, you know, gardeners love cardboard. You know, this gardener is really developing an affinity for cardboard. I'll tell you what, Um, I staked this out and put cardboard in the planting beds, covered them with mulch. And then another marketplace find was some concrete edging stones. Like you would buy at Lowe's, but this was someone who was taking out a garden and I was more than happy to take these stones off their hands. So we had just exactly enough to go along the paths and around the outside edge, because one of the things I have learned about gardening here is one of the best ways to maintain 
the garden and to keep weeds from infiltrating is to have a hard edge, whether it's pavers or timbers or something to some sort of a physical barrier so that the Bermuda grass and the other things that creep at least have a more difficult time of it. And we have time to get them out before, before they take over a garden. But this one, I've already started dahlias. I've never grown dahlias before. And it's really good that they're so popular now because it, it was it was difficult to decide which ones to buy. So I have about half a dozen different variety of dahlias. But I'm also going to do something strange and put some vegetables in here too. I decided to do my little homage to the three sisters from the Native American gardening mm -hmm. lore. And I'm putting in corn and beans, but I'm not putting in squash. So I guess two sisters, twins, maybe. I don't know. Oh, it's and great. There'll be tomatoes in there and mm -hmm. we'll just see how it works. But like any new garden, it's going to evolve. I have no doubt. But I'm super, super excited to be able to do this and see what I can do when I'm not to, yeah, working in a rose exclusive garden, but just yeah. a garden that has roses in it. Now, and, and you can say, I, I share things like this on my Instagram page, um, Heartwood Roses. So if anybody's interested, it's the thing about doing a podcast. This is all verbal and people have to imagine it. So if you run over to Heartwood Roses, you can see, especially now, that spring gardening season is really getting into, into uh, full speed. I share a lot of garden stuff over there. Absolutely. Now, just so our, our friends who are new to you and your garden – um, just give us a little, maybe a rough estimate, or maybe you know exactly how many roses you have there. I usually know exactly, but I don't this year. I've lost about, I know I've lost half a dozen in the front garden. It usually runs about 450, and that does include the ones that are in pots waiting for a spot in the garden. There's about... There's just under 400 in the garden itself, but, but we have nine acres in the country and my gardens are spread over an area that's probably about a hundred yards by 200 yards, mostly in borders surrounding buildings, trying to keep things working as units. But there is what I recall, I refer to as the rose field, which is a rose exclusive garden in with rectangular beds that's about a hundred feet long and about 40 feet deep mm. which we thought that that's not too much smaller than our first suburban entire property <laughs> you know pictures are great but I want to come back and visit not in September I want to come in late spring and see the roses in all their glory oh I you know that my, my guest room is always made up for you, my dear. Um, oh. I have an open garden every single year. This year, the date is kind of fluid. Normally, it's the week before Memorial Day, but I, ha I cannot do it um, those days this year. So I'm trying, to, I'm trying to decide whether it's going to be the week before that or Memorial Day weekend. 
I don't know yet, but I will say, I will put it out on social media um, so that people know. So if you want to come see this by your, you know, on your own, um, no charge. All we ask is that people come here and enjoy themselves. Doesn't get much better than that. Oh my goodness. So it's such a beautiful place at any season, but I just can't imagine seeing all of those roses doing their beautiful thing. It's Honey. overwhelming. It really, really is. I sometimes I stand in the middle of it and I just take it in like, wow. Even for my garden in the spring, and I don't have nearly the roses you have. I always call it fireworks and fragrance because we come out of these really dark, dark winters. And then all of a sudden, by the end of May, it's just an explosion and there's fragrance and you just get it all so quickly. It just, all of a sudden we go from winter to that. And it's just, it's just so um, life affirming for sure. Oh, that is a, that is a wonderful way to put it. Now there was one thing that I forgot. I briefly mentioned plant sales here, local to central Virginia. I would, I would kick myself if I didn't, didn't plug them because both of them um, benefit really, really worthy organizations. The first one is um, the Lynchburg old city cemetery in Lynchburg, mm-hmm. Virginia. They have, they call it their Rose Festival, and it's most of the month of May. And during that whole time, they sell heritage roses. The list is on their website, which I believe is gravegarden.org. They have a, a, a morning museum. The, the place is an arboretum. The Rose Garden is incredible, and the people are the nicest. So if Lynchburg is local enough to make a day trip, it's definitely worth it for Rose mm-hmm. Lovers. And the other one is the Center for Historic Plants, which is part of Thomas Jefferson's Monticello. They have a a general plant sale and open house on April 22nd. And undoubtedly, there will be some roses in their plant sale. But their main rose event is in mid-May. I haven't seen what the date is for that. But if you Google Tufton Farm Roses, it will come up on their event schedule. And they have speakers and garden tours and roses available for sale. And that's where the Leone Bell Noisette Garden is located. There are many, many of the noisettes that we have talked about planted there, most of which came from um, Leone Bell, who was a rose historian in uh, Pennsylvania, and her protege, my friend uh, Doug Seidel, who was a mentor that got me addicted to all of this. Well, it's good to have mentors, is it not? Oh, we have to. We do. Yes. We learn from others and we take that responsibility and teach as we go along. Absolutely. Connie, thanks so much for joining me today. Now, I know when you're here, I'm not only going to be chatting with someone who's knowledgeable, but passionate about the roses she grows. And I love the passion that comes out of this beautiful hobby that we have. So thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you called it passion and not crazy. (laughs) There is a fine line sometimes, or at least my husband sort of says that. And your husband probably does say that too. Not to my face. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, friend. 
And friends, thanks for listening. And if you'd like more information about the Heritage Rose Foundation, you can go back and listen to the podcast I did with Peggy Martin. She went into great detail about the foundation and all the projects that they're working on. And on that particular podcast, you get a bonus. Peggy tells the whole story of Peggy Martin Rose, that rose that survived Hurricane Katrina. It's a very special story, and you get to hear it from her. So look for that one. And on the next podcast in this series of Roses We Don't Hear Much About Anymore, my guest will be Leon Genenthal, and he's going to talk about the roses he's passionate about, the Ramblers. And then Gary Rankin and Monica Valentik will be here to chat about miniature roses and mini flora roses, roses that I don't grow but want to know more about, and maybe you do too. Well, until next time, friends, Happy gardening. You've been listening to the Rose Chat Podcast with Chris Van Cleve and Teresa Byington, expert rose gardeners who want to help you achieve the rose garden of your dreams. Don't miss an episode. Listen anytime on our website at rosechatpodcast.com or listen on the go via the Rose Chat app on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Share this podcast with your social networks and join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using the hashtag rosechat. Join us next time for another edition of the Rose Chat Podcast. The Rose Chat Podcast is a production of the Rose Chat Media Group, Birmingham, Alabama.